Today I have a gift here, and this gift looks good, doesn't it? How many of you think I, I wrapped this gift? Travis, just because he's lying. Uh, no, who do you think in the Washburn family wrapped this gift? Yeah, because if I did it, it'd be in a sack. You know, I get those sacks. I was grateful to God when they invented the little gift sacks with tissue paper, because I can do a little tissue paper. I can't wrap to save my neck. But I said, Janie, I need an awesome gift because I'm going to give away to both services. I'm going to give away an awesome gift this week. And so I said, I need it to look good. Now, how many of you would like this gift? Anybody like this gift? Come on now. Anybody want this gift? Okay, Chad's up here on the front. Just because he's on the front row, I'm, I'm going to open this for you. And whatever's in here, Chad, is all yours, Bubba. This is chosen for you, all right? All right, let's see what we got. And my beautiful wife, I learned this in the first service, taped the box closed. I didn't know that until I opened it in the first service. I think she did that on purpose. Chad, what's in there, buddy? Nothing. Air. There you go. It's all for you. Thank you, man. Well, hang on. Hang on. I need the box. Now, now Chad, knowing, knowing that we had this really nice wrapped gift up here and knowing that I'm the one who chose you to get the gift, how does that make you feel about me? There's a freaking comedian, comedian in every, every congregation. <laughs> Cheap, yes. No, I mean, if you were to get a gift and you open it empty, how would you feel about the giver of the gift? Disappointed. Disappointed. Thank you for playing along. <laughs> going to ruin my illustration, sucker. <clears throat> Have you ever been guilty of giving an empty gift to God. Have you ever come to church to worship and just gone through the motions? Your heart wasn't in it. You saw the words on the screen and you sang them because they're up there. Have you ever served in a church out of guilt or maybe anger because no one else would do it? I've done that. I'm telling you my my mail right there. I get so mad at some of y'all when I have to do something that I wasn't supposed to do and then as I'm doing it, you know what God says? Who are you doing it for? I said, well, you. He said, there's your reward. See, whenever you sing songs and you're not paying attention to the words, you're offering God an empty gift. When you serve in a church, without ever thinking about whom you serve, with a capital W, whom, the king of kings. It's an empty gift. When you serve out of guilt or anger or whatever, and you don't even, you don't even think about the reason you serve, you're saying, here God, after all you've done for me, that's what I got for you. Last week we talked about Jesus would undo spiritual indifference. And, and that makes him sick when we're indifferent, makes him want to throw up. Well, I'm going to tell you something else today that makes him quite angry, and that's whenever we offer him hollow worship. Jesus would undo hollow worship. Uh, we're, when, when we offer Jesus hollow worship, he has a phrase for that. He calls it worship in vain. It's like you shouldn't even offer it. It's in vain. And we're going to see this very clearly in a conversation Jesus has with the Pharisees. 
Um, and I say conversation, I started thinking about it and I thought confrontation, no, that's not enough. This is a verbal spanking that Jesus is about to unleash on a group of Pharisees. And um, I want you to understand, if, if you come to Jesus with legitimate questions, Jesus answers legitimate questions. He never turned away someone who was seeking answers. What made him angry was when somebody camouflaged their question as an agenda and they tried to disrespect others. That's what the Pharisees are doing today in Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law come to Jesus from Jerusalem and ask, why do your disciples break the tradition? Man, if you know anything about Jesus, don't be, don't be bringing up tradition to Jesus and trying to, oh my goodness. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, when you first read that, you go, ooh, gross. Dude, how many of you don't wash your hands? You wouldn't admit it in this crowd if you didn't, Right? I mean, I'm kind of obsessed about that kind of stuff. I'm going to wash my hands. When we go to Haiti, um, we, we go and we work, and then we always carry wet wipes, and I'm going to do the wet wipes, and then I want um, hand sanitizer, and I bathe my hands in hand sanitizer and then wave them till they dry. Then I'll eat the food, right? When we go to a restaurant, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to order, and I'm going to, especially if it's chips and salsa, ah! A couple weeks ago, John and I were in the restroom, just happened to be in the same time right before the early service, and uh, we're, we're washing hands. John and I are good friends, and so we're always cutting up, and we're washing hands, and, and we're talking. I don't even know what we're talking about. John reaches up and leaves the water running, reaches up and gets his paper towel, and he starts wiping his hands off, and he very gently, with the paper towel, turns the water off. I'm like, dude, a little obsessed, aren't you? And he's like, man, you don't know where people's hands have been. Wait, no, you do know where their hands have been. Um, I'm not touching that thing after I washed my hands. And then he went over to the doorknob with his little paper towel and he opened it and walked out and then put it down. I said, wow, but I understand, right? Are you ever obsessed with, with germs or, or you don't, don't wanna have germs, right? Okay. See, it would be gross in this situation if they were talking physical hygiene, but they weren't talking about cleanliness, physical cleanliness. They were talking about something called ceremonial cleanliness. And this is what had them kind of crazy here. Not the same type of obsession. They were obsessed with this idea of I have to be ceremonially clean. See, a, a devout Jew believed there were two categories for everything. There was clean, there was unclean. There were clean people, there's unclean people. There's clean animals, there's unclean animals. There's a clean way to prepare your food, there's an unclean way to prepare your food. And in the Old Testament, if you had a skin condition, let's say you had a rash or you had an open wound, you didn't cover it up, you had an open wound, you were unclean. And if a person touched you, they became unclean. So a pig was unclean. If you touched the pig, you were unclean. If you touched a dead body, you were unclean. And the big fat problem with being unclean is it's contagious. It's like cooties when you were in junior high. I remember, I remember waiting on the water fountain and I'd be behind a girl and I'm trying to get one of my buddies to go up there because I didn't want to get girl cooties. And you know, you're pushing each other and he says, get up there, Washburn. Yes, ma'am. And you go and you, so you get cooties, you get girl cooties and you turn around to your friend, you go, girl cooties, no tag backs. Ah, got you, sucker. You should have gone in front of me, right? That's the idea of uncleanness, uncleanness, uncleanness. You could transfer it to someone else. If you had it, someone else could get it from you. So if a mouse, which was unclean, touched your cup, you touch the cup, you become unclean. If your spouse touches you, they become unclean. And the big thing about this was you were not fit because you were unclean to go into the house of the Lord. You couldn't go to the tabernacle, which was the, the, the portable uh, church, and then the temple later. You couldn't go in there because you were unclean. You'd touch something unclean. And we don't understand this uncleanness unless you have been to some church 
churches that I've been in where, where if you don't have the right clothes to wear, you're considered unclean. They wouldn't say that to you, but they act like you're unclean. Where if you don't say the right things, you don't do the right things, you don't stand at the right time, if you don't sit at the right time, if you don't, if you don't do what they tell you to do, you're unclean. They wouldn't say it, but their attitude shows they think you are less than they are. Janie and I experienced this when we went to Israel. We spent three days in Jerusalem. We went all over the country, but we spent three days in the city of Jerusalem. And the first day we were driving from our hotel to old Jerusalem, that's the walled part, those are called ramparts, that's what we think of when we think of Jerusalem. We were driving from our hotel to the, the old Jerusalem, we we're gonna go see some stuff. We go through this neighborhood and, and there's these guys dressed kind of funny, go ahead and put it up there. I'd never seen guys like this and if you were here a couple years ago after we got back, I did a whole series on, on religion. Um, and I didn't know who these guys were and so I, I, I started researching and looking and these are called Hasidic Jews, H-A-S-I-D-I-C, that's, that's the name. There's a whole neighborhood of them. Everybody in the neighborhood looks like this. They may have a different hat, they may have longer curls, may have longer beards, whatever it is. These guys are the ultra traditional Jews of our day. You wear a certain thing, you, you do certain things, and, and if you don't do those things, then, then you're, not, you're kicked out of their group. You're unclean if you don't do what they tell you to do. And everywhere we went in old Jerusalem, the Hasidic Jews were there. So like the Temple Mount is where the, the temple was built and where the Holy of Holies was. So if you go to the rabbinical tunnels underneath old Jerusalem, there are some places that are holy. Um, so one of the places was close to the Holy of Holies. So, man, you're, you're hundreds of feet down below, and the Holy of Holies would have been way up there. But, but if you're a Hasidic Jew, you'll go there, and you'll bring out your little prayer book, and you'll start saying your prayers, and you ignore everybody else that's going along because you're focusing on God, and you're praying. The reason they do this is it helps them concentrate. And so some of them have recited prayers. Some of them, they're reading their prayers. We went to King David's tomb, which was crazy because King David's not even there. The Crusaders built a tomb and they said, this is King David's tomb, you know, in like the 1300s. And, and so there's Hasidic Jews next to King David's tomb doing their little prayers. Wherever you went, if there was a religious relic inside of Jerusalem, the Hasidic Jews were there praying because you got to pray to be right before God and you got to be clean before God and all the rest of you who don't dress like us and do the things that we do, you're unclean. Now, where this really got to me was the last day we go to the airport, because when you come back from, from Israel, you fly overnight. So our flight was gonna leave at 10.30 p.m. from Tel Aviv. We get to the airport and find out that our flight has been canceled, and, and I was not real thrilled with spending another day. We'd already been gone 14 days. And so my sister-in-law got us a, a flight on United Airlines to New Jersey, and then we were gonna fly from New Jersey to Houston. We were grateful to God. We get on the flight, I mean, we're getting on, we're the last call, we get on by the, by the skin of our teeth, you know, and we sit down, and I'm like, yes, we made it. And then I notice, I look around, there's 12 of these guys, about 12 Hasidic Jews standing in the aisles of the airplane. I'm not amused, I barely made this flight. We're about to fly all night, sit your bootay down. Whether it's clean or unclean, I don't care, sit it down. And then I noticed the flight attendants are running around, they're really making a big deal of, of switching seats. So there's this little little woman, Janie's on this side, I'm in the middle, and there's this, this small woman here, and I'm like, yes, I got two small women for a 12-hour flight, whoo! Next thing I know, they come to this woman, and they take her somewhere else, and then this big Hasidic Jew comes and sits down, I said, dang! And he was all, I'm not kidding, he was all over me, leaning, and I'm going, I don't care what your religion is. I found out part of the reason they wouldn't sit down is because their seats were next to women. And they couldn't sit next to women 
because those women might be on their monthly cycle and that would make them unclean. So we, we, we sit there while home cheese is waiting on, I'm like, dude, I'm un- I, if I'd have known, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, you can't sit here. I didn't know, I didn't know, next time I'll know. <clears throat> Why is it a big deal if they're unclean? Because then they couldn't worship, they couldn't go to church, they, they could not go and appear before God. And so, um, if you were unclean, you'd have to go through these different rituals. One of the rituals is hand washing. And so you couldn't even wash your own hands if your hands were unclean. You would have to get a pitcher, a two-handed, two-handled pitcher, and someone else would have to wash your hands. And, and so before a meal, it doesn't have anything to do with physical hygiene, ceremonially clean. So you would hold your hands out, somebody who's clean would pour the water over you, ceremonially clean water, and you would wash your hands. Now you had to be very, very careful because if your hands were up like this and the water cleansed your hands, but then it rolls down, the water's unclean and you, your arm becomes unclean. So you gotta get down where, where the water will fall off onto the ground and then you can become clean. That sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? Let's, let's start practicing this. See, that when, when the hand washing was first established, it was because the priests at the temple would be unclean and they would have to cleanse their hands before they could go serve. When the temple was destroyed, somebody had the bright, bright idea, let's apply this to our meals, kind of like our prayer before meal. Let's apply it to a meal so that the meal becomes holy. But let's focus so much on the tradition that we forget why we're even doing it in the first place. That's what these guys do. They come to Jesus and they say, hey, we follow the tradition of the elders. Why don't you your boys do what we do. Jesus is about to go from zero to 100 in verbal spanking. Because see, this was a judgmental question not only meant to disrespect Jesus, they were disrespecting his followers saying, your training of your followers is not as good as the training we've had from our elders. Next verse. Jesus replied, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? <laughs> we're talking tradition, Jesus just wastes them. Okay, you're gonna talk about tradition. Why do you violate God's commands? These were the guys, it was their job to follow God's commands. And Jesus says, you blow God's commands out of the water. For God said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses father or mother is to be put to death. That's pretty serious. But you say if anyone declares that what might have been used for their father or mother is to be devoted to God, they, they are not to honor their father and mother. So the tradition said, if, if I have elderly parents and I don't wanna take care of my elderly parents, why? Because I'm just gonna disobey God's law, but also because I'm selfish and I wanna spend my money on myself. And, and so what, all I have to do, according to the tradition, was say, this money, my money is devoted to God. God. Sorry, mom and dad, you're out of luck. This was the tradition of the elders. And Jesus said, when you say that, you violate God's command. See, I could have a peach orchard and, and, and you might be hungry and all I got to say is, oh, well, it's sorry, you can't have any of God's peaches. This peach orchard is devoted to God. Now, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to offer one peach. If I'm saying my, my money is devoted to God, I don't have to, have to offer one dollar to God. The tradition said you can protect, protect, protect your stuff if you just claim, oh, it's devoted to God. It was empty words. Jesus said, you violate the command of God. You break it. And he says, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Then he calls them a hypocrite. Worst thing you could call a Pharisee. They're professional. They get paid to be good. You hypocrites. And then he quotes Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And here's, here's the phrase I showed you. They worship me in vain. 
Their teachings are merely human rules. They're giving me lip service, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus said, their worship isn't pleasing because it's an empty gift. Their heart's not in it. Oh, they say they worship. They say they know the word of God. They violate the word of God and go, here you go, God. This is for you. It's all for you. What would Jesus undo? Empty worship, pretend worship, fake worship. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, but my heart is far from God. He would undo that. Now, when we talk about worship, most people think about music or the style of music, right? Um, I like this style, but I don't like this style as if it has anything to do with you. Worship has anything to do with you. Or they may think about the environment. Some people think that it's got to be very solemn, very holy, um, no smiling, anything like that. Um, others think, man, it needs to be rowdy. We need to have some fun in worship. So which one's right? See, I grew up in a, um, in a very different style than, than New Life. I grew up in what's called a fundamental Baptist church. Women wore dresses, never pants. Um, th there was no smiling. There was no fun in church. I'm not making this up. If you started to smile, you were going to get thumped on the ear. So there's thumping going on all over the worship center. And we didn't call it a worship center. We called it a sanctuary. So you're getting ears thumped. Or your mama would reach right underneath your armpit and pinch and twist. That's some pain. I learned. Church is all about pain because I kind of like to have fun. <clears throat> so I grew up in this type of a, a, a place where, where there was this massive pulpit. It was so big that the preacher could climb in and, and take a nap if he wanted to during the song service. We, we sang, first time I went to a church that didn't have a big pulpit, I, I remember going, they're doing it wrong. You're supposed to have a big old pulpit. And we sang songs from, from something called a What? A hymnal, it's a book with all the words in it. And never would you ever sing a song that was not in the hymnal because God forbid that you don't sing something that's in the hymnal. We had these big wooden pews that were the most uncomfortable thing known to man. We would always sing verses one, two, and four. I don't know what was wrong with verse three, stanza three, but we never sang it. Nobody ever gave me a reason why. And at some point... We left there, I was in third grade, I remember we had some conflict, so we went to First Baptist Church, so we weren't fundamental, we were Southern Baptist, and that was so much more modern, right? So we had these, we had these chairs that, that were like theater chairs, you know, they were, they were very comfortable, and when you stand up, they go, boom, 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 boom. you know, as everybody stands up all over, it's just this big sound, it's my favorite sound when I was a kid, because <laughs> that meant, let's, let's stand for closing prayer, boom, 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 boom. yeah. We, we sang from a hymnal, but we were modern enough that maybe, maybe two times a year we allowed a guitar in worship. But then there would be a deacon's meeting to, to determine whether that was appropriate worship or not. And then, then occasionally we would sing a, a worship chorus. That, that tells you how old I am. I grew up in the 70s. Worship choruses, you know, like God, you're so good. And then we would have a deacon's meeting to talk about whether that was appropriate because it wasn't in, oh man. 
See, you can talk about liturgical. Some of you grew up in liturgical. All that means is scripted. It means if you're in a liturgical church, there is a script that you are given from the denomination. You're supposed to follow the songs and the, the, the verses and all of that stuff. It's given to you. That's liturgical. Non-liturgical, which is what we would be, is where it's not scripted. Nobody in our denomination tells us what we're supposed to do. So you can have scripted, you can have non-scripted, you can have charismatic. How many of you have been to a church that has a very different style than what you saw at New Life today? Let me see hands. So that's almost all of us. Okay. So my question is, which is right? Because liturgical is called high church. We would not be called high church. We would be down on the low end of the scale. Which one is right? Let's just take traditional versus charismatic. Which one is right? Well, I've got an answer for you. Which one's right before God? The answer is both are right before God or neither are right before God if their hearts are not right if they're offering empty worship. Either one is in vain if they're not, if their heart isn't in it. Jesus said, when your heart's not in it, you worship in vain. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. See, true worship really isn't about the style of music, it's about the condition of your heart. Let's say my kids come to me next week. This would be really funny because they're now 23, 21, and 18. But let's say 15 years ago, my kids come to me on Father's Day and they go, hey, Dad, Dad, we wrote a song for you. How do you think I'm going to feel? Well, it depends on the song because in my mind, as I was thinking about this this week, I thought, you know, when they were kids, Rachel, Rachel started liking, I don't even know when she started liking country music, but, but I thought if, if she wrote a song like this, my dad's got a bald head and a blue belly, he mows lawns and it makes him smelly. Now, if they wrote that song, I wouldn't be very pleased with that, right? But let's say they write a good song and they're just playing their hearts out. They're playing their instruments. They're singing their father's praises. How do you think I'm gonna feel? But then I go, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. I like country music. If you don't have a banjo, you cannot sing my praises. That would never happen, right? Now I might say, we need an electric guitar. I like rock and roll. Come to me with rock and roll and then you can sing about me all day long. No, I'm not gonna do that. If my kids come from their heart and say something about me or to me, I'm going to be pleased with that. Or Hannah's into hip hop. Dad is a preacher. What? Dad is a preacher. What? Dad. They'd say it 75 times. <laughs> and then they'd have a chorus. And then somebody go, word. No, that's, that's real old. That's my, that's my, <laughs> by the way, your hip hop dance was awesome last night. Um, yes, it, it, it was, it was, it was Christian, right? I don't know. I couldn't tell. Um, but, it, but your dance was awesome. Um, <laughs> but they come to me with hip hop and I go, oh no, if you don't come to me with organ music and sing from a hymnal, get thou out of my presence. Absolutely not. As a dad, in fact, the, the presence that I've gotten from my kids that I admire the most, that I still cling to. There's a picture back in this office where Hannah did different pictures for I love you, dad, and each one, with, and it showed her personality. Rachel's made me gifts. Those mean more to me than anything they've ever purchased because it came from their heart. And in fact, last night, Hannah comes out on stage and, and, and I told her this. I, I just started crying because this was, this was her senior performance. She cried too and her friends, all the seniors, I think all the seniors were crying. Um, when you walked on stage, she, 
she downplays everything I tell her because I got dad goggles on. When you walked on stage, I thought, there's a stunning beauty. And I sat there and I said to God, she's doing what you created her to do. And I'm gonna have to drive to Dallas in the future because she's going to dance in Dallas. But God, thank you that she's doing what you created her to do. And then later, Janie and I were about to pray last night and, and she said, well, it's rather obvious that Hannah's doing what God's called her to do. And there's nothing that blesses a daddy and a mama's heart than when a kid does what they're supposed to do. And, and I, I told the first service, when I stand over there, there's times I just watch Rachel. Now, John was doing it just to be dumb today, but um, he's trying to make her laugh. But there's times when, when Rachel will begin to sing. And, and now, when, when she does her hands like this, that is, that is raising her hands, you know, right? And, and, and when she starts worshiping and she forgets that you're out there, sometimes I can't continue to play. Because I'm like, thank you, God, that Rachel's doing what God has gifted her to do. Ten years ago, we started a youth band on Wednesday nights so that Caleb, my son, could play drums in a worship band so that Rachel could begin singing in a worship band. And it blesses my heart when my kids use the gifts that God has given them. So you come to God with the right type of heart, not the right type of music. Worship is about the condition of your heart. Christianity is not some label. It's not, it's not a, an interest. It's not a hobby. Christianity is a lifestyle. That means worship isn't just the songs we sing. Worship is the life we live. I want you to close your eyes for just a minute. I want to describe for you Jesus, and I want your imagination to be captured by this image. The sinless, perfect Son of God, worshiped by angels, at the sound of his voice, the angels would fall on their faces and cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That Jesus Christ gave all of that up, came to earth and became obedient even to death on a cross. He destroyed the effects of sin and death and hell. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he, Jesus, became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was resurrected on the third day and he is now standing at the right hand of the throne of his father, the incredible God. And the Bible says that Jesus, this moment, is praying for you. Bible says he intercedes for you. Listen to this verse. Keep your eyes closed. Listen to this verse. Therefore he, Jesus, is able to save forever those, listen to this, those who draw near to God through him. There is one way to heaven. It's through Jesus. He is able to save you forever because he's destroyed pain, death, sin. He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercessions. He's always living to pray for you. That kind of Jesus is worthy of your worship. All right, you can look up here. Not only is that Jesus worthy of our worship, but God sent the very same Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead to live inside of the people who draw near to God through Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is here today. He's in you today. In view of who Jesus is and who God is and everything they've done, he's worthy of our worship, our praise. Sometimes you just gotta creatively worship him. Let's talk about how to do that. 
How do we express our worship to God? Sometimes we bow in reverence. If you've never bowed before God, then I don't think you've truly seen God. There have been times that all I could do was fall on my face like Peter and say, depart from me, God, because I'm a sinful man. Look what David says in Psalm 95, 6. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Sometimes you bow like Peter. Sometimes you bow like the wise men who came in and, and an infant that they knew was the king of kings. They offered him gifts and they bowed in worship. And see, here's the deal. You can bow now. Your choice. Bible says you will bow at some point. His choice. Paul told the Philippian church, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, earth, under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You will bow. You can choose to bow now, but you're going to bow someday. So sometimes we bow in reverence. Sometimes we lift our hands in adoration. It's not a weird thing. It's not a charismatic thing. It's a biblical thing. I want you to see what Paul told Timothy, a young pastor in 1 Timothy 2.8. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, doing what? Lifting up holy without anger or disputing. By the way, that means if you are an angry person when you come in here, maybe you shouldn't put your hands up. Or if you're in a dispute with somebody, maybe you're, maybe you're offering empty worship. Maybe you need to get that right before you come and worship God the Father. David, when he's running for his life in the wilderness, when he doesn't have access to the temple, to the tabernacle, the temple wasn't built yet. He, he says this in Psalm 63, 4, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up holy hands. When we're singing up here and you worship by raising your hands, usually Timmy's right over there. And, and Timmy, when, sometimes I can't see because the lights are kind of bright up here, but I'll see these hands raised and I know it's Timmy. And that blesses us because we're not, we're not here to worship you. We're here to worship God. But did you know you're part of the worship team? We're all on the same team when it comes to worship. And sometimes the most appropriate response is to raise your hands. Well, what does it mean when you raise your hands? Two things in our society. First is surrender. Popo pulls you over and says, get out of the car and raise your hands. What do you, what, what do you better do? When I carried a gun into the, the airport and Popo said, you need to raise... Put your hands behind your back. I put my hands behind my back. I went and sat in the car and one of my preacher buddies watched me. By the grace of God, he didn't film it. I probably would have filmed him. You raise your hands in surrender, but you also raise your hands in victory. My team wins. I don't know if we, I, I didn't watch any of the NBA finals because like I get too uptight and I can't sleep and all that stuff. But when I, when I looked on the internet and I saw, I wouldn't even look at Facebook because Brandy and some of you people would be pay, posting stuff and I'd be going, <gasps> you know, if, if, if Curry was having a rough night, she's going, oh, Steph Curry. And I'm going, <clears throat> so I wouldn't even look on the internet because I get too uptight. When I saw they were up by 20 something points, I actually turned over there. I'm like, yes. LeBron loses. I don't care who you were choosing. I'm just saying sometimes you, you raise your hands in victory. Sometimes you have to dance in celebration. One of my favorite videos, I saw this online. Show it real quick. When you're in timeout and your song comes on. That's good. All I wanted you to see is when your song come on, it doesn't matter where you are. You got to dance. David said this in Psalm 149.3, let them praise his name with dancing. How many of you have ever danced before? 
Some of you are lying. You danced when you got the job, when you got the promotion, when your kid passed, when your kid broke up with that kid, you danced. When he gave you the, the ring, you danced, right? Some of you, you, you got tickets to your favorite concert, you danced. Sometimes you need to dance in the presence of God. Even when you're sad, Psalm 30, 11 says this, you turn my wailing into dancing. David said, God, it's so big that when I was in mourning, he turned that into a time of dancing. Sometimes we lift our hands, sometimes we bow, sometimes we dance in celebration, sometimes we offer a sacrifice of praise. I gotta finish real fast here. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that profess his name. We worship him when we feel him, we worship him when we don't. Um, I called Lee Sutherland, he came home from work the other night and his, his wife Janice was, was dead. He found her and uh, I called him on Friday morning, bright and early Friday morning and I started praying with Lee and I'll never forget this. I'm, I'm trying to comfort him, I'm saying God comfort him while I'm praying on the phone with Lee, Lee is praising God. And, and I'm, sitting, I'm, I'm going, wow, maybe he should be praying instead of me. And he's, he's praising God and, and I thought he's offering a sacrifice of praise. He didn't feel like it, but he knew that was right. And I said, Father, send your Holy Spirit to give him the peace of God. And he said this, he said, paraclete. Paraclete means advocate or helper. So I'm praying, God, send, send the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, yes, God, send the helper because I need the helper right now. He was offering a sacrifice of praise. He was in the first service today. Some folks said, I, 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 I'd be surprised if he showed up. I said, no, nah, he's gonna be here because he's gonna offer a sacrifice of praise. See, our worship is not based on our circumstances, it's based on God's character. So sometimes you do those things every day, live a life of worship. Worship isn't just something we do, a worshiper is who we are. Romans 12:1 says this, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. This is not a suggestion, it's a you need to do this regardless of the circumstances. So in view of who God is, what he's done, we need to worship. Now we're gonna finish today and be a few minutes over, but, but I'm gonna encourage you, don't, don't you dare finish this service offering God an empty gift. I wanna tell you who we're about to worship. I'm gonna play for you the song, it's, it, we did it earlier, here for you, this is Chris Tomlin version. But I didn't want the band to come back on stage. I want the band to be a part of this worship time. But before we do it, I want you to hear whom you are worshiping. God is our rock. He's our redeemer. He's our righteousness. He's our deliverer. He's our defender. Next one. He's our shield, salvation, strength, bread of life, living water. Next one. Jesus is good shepherd. He's our vine. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's the light of the world. He's the conqueror of death. Did I have another one? The Lamb of God, Lion of Judah, Alpha and Omega, soon returning King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, what I'm gonna do right now, I'm kinda in a hurry because we're running a little bit late, but get over it. I'm gonna play for you the same song that we sang at the last of our worship set, We Are Here For You. This is Chris Tomlin. I'm gonna play for it. And before you leave this room, I want you to stay seated and whatever God tells you to do. If God says you sit there and worship, you sit there and worship. If God says you stand and raise your hands, you stand and raise your hands. Some of you need to get on your face before God and repent because you've offered him empty worship for years now and he's tired of it. Whatever it is that God tells you to do over the course of these next three or four minutes, I want you to do. And when the song's finished, you're dismissed.